Our scripture reading tonight is Revelation chapter 2, the last chapter, last page of our Bibles. Revelation chapter 22. And our text, where we focus our attention mostly tonight, will be on 20 and 21, the last two verses of our Bibles. But we'll read the entire chapter, Revelation 22. Listen, this is God's word. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end." Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. You can imagine any number of scenarios where the phrase, I'll be back, can be used, and with a whole range of meanings. 
When Arnold said it, it was a promise and a threat. And when he came back, he came crashing back with a vengeance. But imagine a few other places where you might hear this, where you're in a courtroom, for example, with a large, tattooed, nasty-looking man convicted of a crime being led out in leg irons and handcuffs about to serve his just-announced or pronounced sentence. And as he's let out, he looks back over the courtroom. He locks eyes with his victims. He shakes his shackled hands and says with a hate-filled snarl, I'll be back. Or way on the other side of things, you could imagine you're standing just inside the front door of a house where a loving mother, about to leave her young son in the care and custody of a babysitter, for a rare night out, tenderly takes his sobbing face in her hands, looks directly into his tear-filled eyes and says, I'll be back. One of them creates surprise and suspense. The other creates paralyzing dread and fear and a countdown to a release date. And the other cultivates a sense of comfort and reassurance. I'm not sure how often you think about the fact Jesus is coming back, but I thought I'd take you to the final pages of our Bibles to hear him say this to us. I'll be back. And I want you to notice first in this, this is a series of repeated promises. The book of Revelation uh, opens with these words, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And just a few verses later, I am the Alpha and the Omega, as we read again in this chapter. The one who is and who was and who is to come, the Lord Almighty. Words Jesus will say apply to himself. In other words, a significant part of the message about Jesus throughout the whole of Scripture and here on these last pages, is that He is the eternal Son of God, without beginning and without end. And at the same time, He's the Son of God who in the middle came to us, who took on our flesh, who became man. He lived, He died, He lives again, and then He returned to heaven. He came and then he left. And as he left, he left his disciples and us looking up into the heavens. And here we are in this season so soon after Christmas, and it's good to remind ourselves that there's as much said in the Bible in anticipation of his second coming as there is about his first. Come thou long expected Jesus still works as a hymn for us today. And in the season after Christmas, it's good to again remind ourselves that Scripture is filled with this hope and expectation of His coming. If you prefer, there's a great deal said about the coming of Christ in two stages. First in His incarnation, then in His glorified state. He has, from before the beginning of all time, been with the Father and the Spirit. 
He was, from the beginning, the long-promised, much-anticipated, hoped-for, longed-for Messiah to come, and who did come. And he's the victorious and loving Savior who looks with his, stood with his disciples on top of the mountain and blesses them as he's being taken up. And his disciples and we stare up into the heavens and they are comforted. They are comforted with the words of the angels. Why do you stand there gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will come again in the same way you saw him go into heaven. But even saying all that, we must not miss the direct and the personal nature of these words in Revelation chapter 22. I want to make this point a couple of times today because I think this is what we often do miss. Because we theologize about the second coming of Christ. We speculate on a whole variety of things we are not told in Scripture but notice, they, these are not just words of God, true on every page, witnessed by uh, the Apostle John, who confirms and attests for us of everything he has seen and heard. Do not miss the direct and the personal nature of these words. Do not miss that Jesus himself is the star witness to the whole plan of God and as John has confirmed what he saw and heard, Jesus confirms what is true about his impending return. He assures us, speaks directly to us, and says, I will be back. He intends those words primarily uh, for his people as a word of comfort, a word of encouragement. But there's also that sense of warning to the lost. So when Jesus says in verses 12 and 13, Behold, I'm coming soon, he adds, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. That is, our eternal destiny is going to be confirmed and openly declared when Jesus comes back as judge. Remember the picture he gives us in the gospel where he says he will place those who knew him and loved him on his right hand and those who did not know him or who did not love him on his left. And to those on the right, he'll say, come, you who are blessed by my Father to take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. These are the righteous who will enter into eternal life. And to those on the left, he'll say, depart from me. You are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and they will go into that eternal punishment. Or as it is expressed in this chapter, there will be those invited into the city through the gates, and there will be those forever consigned to be outside of the walls. Now, none of this should be a tremendous surprise to us because uh, this is the heart of uh, the Bible's message that, and of, of Christ's message and ministry when he's on earth and he confirms everything we've ever heard about him and about God his Father from front to back. The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and he will reward each person according to what he's done. Or we remember Jesus on trial before Caiaphas, a high priest, before that whole Jewish 
court. He says, I say to you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And we have this truly awe-inspiring picture of the risen and exalted, glorified Jesus Christ who is co-eternal, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit who came into our world, assumed our human nature, suffered and died in our flesh, who rose in the same body with which he was buried, was victoriously glorified, raised to the right hand of the Father, now sits in glory who is going to return in that condition. Crowned with glory and honor, robed with authority and power, victorious in might and strength, attended to, surrounded by heavenly angels. The conquering hero, the triumphant king, the glorious judge, the savior of all who trust in him, dead and alive. We recognize his life was one of lowly service, a willingness to be subject to humiliation and even disdain, who presented himself and submitted himself to the political and the religious courtrooms and authorities of the day and finally presented himself to the divine courtroom on the cross. And for the joy set before him endured that cross, despised its shame, and ultimately sits down at the right hand of God. Even there, he's looking beyond his near horizon and forward to his second coming. And for him, shame and humiliation, rejection uh, and condemnation are going to give way, have already given way to the glory and the honor uh, of his father's acceptance and his vindication and now his right to stand and to be seated then in judgment with his father. And all this and the promise of his return will either fill us with anticipation and joy or with fear and dread depending on our relationship with Jesus. But whatever the case, notice that throughout the book he is telling us, I am coming again or I am coming soon. Make no mistake about it, as we say in that famous childhood game, ready or not, here I come. And notice, again, these are the very words of Jesus spoken directly to us. This is not just about his second coming. This is not just theologizing about his second coming. This is Jesus saying to you and to me, surely, my friends, I am coming soon. Notice our response, secondly, to this repeated promise. We say, amen, come Lord Jesus. Amen, because we concur with and give our assent to these words of Jesus. And in some sense, we have no choice but we are followed, uh, we follow those words with um, joining with Christians around the world throughout the ages who have been longing for his appearing. Now it seems that these words are part of a basic testimony of the early church. Maybe you've heard the Aramaic form of this uh, from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Maranatha where Paul concludes his letter to the struggling church, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed 
O our Lord, come, or as so elegantly expressed in the King James Version, let him be anathema, maranatha. But do notice again how different the phrase maranatha, or come, Lord Jesus, is from so many of the ways we tend to speak of the return of Christ. We might say, for example, as we did this morning in our confession of faith, I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Or we might confess, as we do in the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from there will come to judge the living and the dead. Or imagine what you might say to a friend of yours, a Christian friend, going through a bit of a rough patch. Jesus is coming back. Or we might say, aren't we glad Jesus is coming back? Or we might even say, we can't wait till Jesus is coming, uh, comes back, can we? And yet even these words here are different because they too are direct address. In other words, we're not just saying words about Jesus. We are saying words directly to Jesus. Or to put it yet another way, just as Jesus speaks to us directly, promises us, I am coming back, or I am coming soon. We respond directly to him, and we say, yes, Lord, come. This is, as uh, some have described it, a polite entreaty. Lord Jesus, please come. Please, Lord Jesus, come. But do also notice this is not a vain hope or a desperate plea or a shot in the dark, a kind of longing or expectation we don't really imagine will be fulfilled anytime soon. This is a direct appeal to Jesus as an act of our faith in him and a confidence in his promise. He is described in Scripture as the one who will come back. But he's also given us his direct word. I am coming soon. And we take that, those words coming from the mouth of our Savior, to the bank of our faith and we cash in with confidence. We believe him. We trust him, and now we appeal to him to keep his word, which we are sure he will do. And so even if his return is not always on the forefronts of our minds, we do not doubt but that he has said, I'll be back. And this, of course, is great news for sufferers in the present, as it was intended to be, at least in part, Uh, Because we will have no real idea of how badly this world is messed up. We will have no idea how badly things are marred and disturbed by our sin until we see everything come out the other side. With God's purifying fire, with every trace of sin removed, with everything restored and renewed and made whole. 
You think about that for a moment. There's not one thing in all creation, ourselves included, not, that is not in some significant way affected by the fall. And the reality and the reach and the ruin of sin is all we really know. Sin is that universal human condition ever since Adam and Eve, and it has meant for us guilt and shame and pollution and alienation. It's meant for us and all creation a kind of a dissolution and decay and death. And so our lives are filled with frustrations, with pain that is physical and emotional and spiritual that touches every part of our being. And things like our cars break down, our computers crash, pizzas burn, our jobs are frustrating, our dogs die, and every day we can write a new country song. People we love and trust will disappoint us. Relationships will fail. Everyone around us sins against us and others in some way, just as we do ourselves. We experience our frustrations and struggles with, uh, with sin. We have our uh, regrets over lost opportunities. Words poorly chosen, harshly spoken. We are discouraged and defeated and depressed. It's dark. And we look and we recognize we fall into the same old routine patterns of sin and we're angry and we're lonely and we're in a world of hurt and everything seems to be falling apart. We are actively dying and to top it off, people we know and love will die and we will have to watch them suffer and then we ourselves will enter into death, that final enemy. Well, that sounds like great news, all that. And Jesus comes and says to us, I am coming soon. And everything he will do when he comes back will change everything we know about everything we know. Revelation 21 says there will be no more uh, death or mourning or crying or pain. God will wipe away every tear from our eye and not only will sin be banished, but so too will evildoers be. And so it's good news for us to hear Jesus say, I am coming soon. And so we respond, not again to simply imagine or theologize about all that will happen, but to recognize that's in the back of our minds or maybe even on the front of our hearts when we say, yes, Lord, come. Please. You don't have to be a sufferer or someone who's conscious or mindful of suffering. Maybe your life is going uh, swimmingly right now. And you too can say, come Lord Jesus. After all, don't we want our friends we've not seen in a while or someone we love or care about deeply but who, from whom we've been separated for a time who calls us up or sends us a text and say, I'm going to be in the area. Do you mind if I swing by? Aren't we going to say to them, yes, come. Our only sense of loss in the meantime is that we're distant from someone we want to be in their presence. We want them to be with us. 
So we may not have or be going through any kind of serious uh, anxiety or fear or doubts or, or concerns about even that relationship. We want to be with the person we love. And so these words, amen, yes, Lord, come, please, Lord Jesus, are words spoken by people who want to see Jesus come. The victim of the criminal in the courtroom who hears those words, I'll be back, doesn't want to see him back. In fact, dreads with great apprehension the day of his release. The child who's stuck with the babysitter as fun as the babysitter might be, wants mom back. Goes to the door. Is she back yet? Wants her to be with her. Yes, mom, come back. Come back quickly. And then notice our text begin, or ends rather with the, so what do you do in the meantime? You recognize this has been a problem or a challenge for the church throughout most of its ages. Come, I am coming soon, or the sense of expectation that Jesus, who ascends into heaven, will come back, and his return is imminent. And, of course, his return is always in front of us through his spirit. But this second coming seems so delayed. And there's so much suffering. There's so much brokenness. And when we are mindful of it, as I'm encouraging you to be mindful tonight that he is going to come back, has promised us, and we affirm this, and we ask him to come back. We're still stuck with the present, the world of, of the fall, or the world of our concern for people who do not want Jesus to come back because they're not ready for him. And so the last words of the last verse of the last chapter of the last book of the whole Bible are these, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus, the very thing we need and the very thing God promises and Jesus promises to supply, be with you all. How will you get through those days, today, tomorrow, or however long it takes before Jesus comes back? Only resting in, empowered by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He bountifully gives. This little phrase captures the, uh, the essence of the challenge we face. We are forced to wait in a broken and fallen world. We have a message to bring to this world. We have work to do in the meantime. This isn't us simply uh, standing out, waiting for him to come and, do, and being passive in every way until he does. We need the grace, the favor of Christ. Now, bathed in the promise of his return, the promise he gives us himself, I'll be back, and we say yes Lord, come, come quickly even. I'm not sure how often this fills your mind or heart. I confess that I often go along through my day without any sense that the Lord is coming back. I believe he's coming back. I have no doubt he's coming back. I take him at his word he's coming back. It's just not always on my mind. And it's good to be reminded He's told us he will. 
And only those who love him and wait for him and want him to come back are going to be able to say, yes, Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus, please. And for all of you, as you wait, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father, there is nothing complicated about the words we just read. There is nothing, <clears throat> no real question about what Jesus has said to us or how we uh, respond to him or what he has promised to us while we wait. So we uh, simply ask that you take this grand old message, the message that we find in every page of Scripture, that you drive it home to us, make it more real to us, let us recognize and be more conscious and aware of the fact that Jesus is coming back because he said he is. Our Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, your uh, coming in the first place, your departure and your promised return. And we say to you, our Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Hear our prayer. Come to be with us. We ask it in your own name, and we all say together, amen.